Ms. Wang Xia, 30 years old. She was sentenced to seven years of imprisonment in 2002 because she distributed material clarifying the truth about Falun Gong in China. Before she was detained, Ms. Wang weighed more than 120 pounds. After two years of persecution, she now weighs only about 45 pounds. Mr. Zhang Chanming, 50 years old, he was sentenced to a three-year term at a forced labor camp because he appealed for justice for Falun Gong. At the Jiaomutsu city forced labor camp, camp guard beat his head fiercely with a screwdriver and other tools, which caused Mr. Zhang's death. Ms. Gao Rongrong, 36 years old, she was detained at the Longshan labor camp because she practices Falun Gong. On May 7, 2004, Ms. Gao was severely disfigured by six to seven hours of electric baton shock torture. These startling tragedies occurred in modern-day China. They happened to Falun Gong practitioners who are being brutally persecuted. And these are just a few of the countless torture cases that have taken place over the past five years of continuous persecution. In the early 1990s, the former Soviet Union and other East European communist regimes imploded one after another, marking the collapse of the world communism movement. However, the CCP, which carried out so-called economic reform, unexpectedly prolonged its life. It seemed outwardly to be an exception, showing improvement and progress. After the brutal, systematic persecution of Falun Gong became ubiquitous throughout every level of Chinese society. Many people began to ponder how such a bloody and outrageous persecution could have happened again. China's social order had stabilized after the chaos of the Cultural Revolution 20 years ago. Why has China entered another, similar cycle of nightmarish events? Why is Falun Gong which upholds the principles of truthfulness, compassion, and tolerance, and has been promulgated in over 60 countries worldwide, why is Falun Gong being persecuted only in China, but not anywhere else in the world? Doesn't this suggest that this persecution is a peculiar phenomenon? In fact, what is really peculiar isn't the persecution launched by Jiang Zemin and the CCP, but that the widespread belief in something like Falun Gong, based on principles of truthfulness, compassion, and tolerance, could appear again in China, after the CCP had crushed Chinese traditional beliefs and culture with violence and lies over the preceding 50 years. Isn't this heralding the end of the CCP? The evil and absurd persecution is in fact the final struggle for the whole communist movement. For this reason, the persecution, which has been bloody, irrational, widespread, vehement, and brutal, has brought together all of the evil means accumulated over the course of the CCP's many previous movements and campaigns. In this persecution, the collusion and resonance between Jiang Zemin and the evil specter of the CCP have amplified the atrocities of the persecution to an unprecedented level. As a consequence, the persecution is also driving the last nail into the CCP's coffin.
Before this page of criminal history is turned completely, let's look at Jiang Zemin and the CCP's evil acts in this persecution and take the experience as a permanent and profound lesson for all the world's people. Jiang Zemin was born in the restless year of 1926. He displayed his characteristic pursuit of power using any and all cunning means since he was very young. He shares this characteristic with the CCP itself. In 1943, the worldwide anti-fascist war was in full swing. While patriotic youths went one after another to the front lines to fight Japan and save China, Jiang Zemin chose to pursue higher education. He attended the Central University in Nanjing that had been established by the puppet regime of Wang Jingwei under the control of the Japanese. The reason was that his father, Zhang Shijun, was once a high-ranking officer in the anti-China propaganda department of the Japanese invading army. After the CCP won the Civil War, Zhang Zemin disguised this period of history in his family background and made up the lie that he had been adopted and raised by his uncle Zhang Shangqing, who had joined the CCP at an early age and was later shot dead by bandits. Zhang Zemin is not a person who can be steadfast in his work. Zhang's promotion was not due to his ability, but to personal connections and favors. In his tenure as the CCP secretary of the city of Shanghai, Zhang Zemin spared no effort in currying favor with CCP magnates like former president Li Xianyan and longtime Politburo member Chen Yun who came to Shanghai every year for the Spring Festival. Even as the party secretary of the city of Shanghai, Zhang once stood and waited in the deep snow for several hours in order to personally deliver a birthday cake to former president Li Xianyan. The Tiananmen Square Massacre on June 4, 1989, was another turning point in Jiang Zemin's life. Before the massacre took place, Jiang Zemin had delivered a secret letter to Deng Xiaoping requesting that bold measures be taken against the students. Otherwise, he said, both the nation and the party would be under their control. After that, he obtained party favor through suppressing a liberal newspaper and putting the leader of the People's Congress, Wan Li, under house arrest. In a later press conference, a French reporter asked Zhang about the story of a female college student. Because of her involvement in the June 4th student movement in Tiananmen Square, she was transferred to a forced labor camp in Sichuan province and was raped repeatedly by the local peasants. Zhang replied, I don't know if what you said is true or not, but that woman is a violent rioter. Even if it were true, she deserved it. This one simple sentence exposes Zhang Zemin's scoundrel-like, deviant mentality and cruelty. He was just what the CCP needed when it encountered great crises both at home and abroad. Jiang Zemin became the new Secretary General of the CCP by spilling the blood and walking on top of the bodies of the Chinese people. Jiang Zemin's disgraceful personal history 
as the son of a traitor to China, who pretended to be the orphan of a party martyr and supported bloody suppression, reflects the CCP's own criminal history. Zhang has also adopted the CCP's evil genes of betrayal, deceit, and murder. Because of this, both Zhang Zemin and the CCP share a strong attachment to their power and an acute sense of insecurity. Soon after Jiang Zemin came to power, the former Soviet Union and East European Communist parties collapsed one after another. The Communist bloc lost more than half of its territory overnight. The Communist movement was proven indisputably defeated. However, the CCP was not willing to bow out from the stage of history. The CCP learned from this lesson and realized that stopping suppression and allowing the right to free speech was the equivalent of seeking its own doom. Similarly, Jiang Zemin was not willing to lose the power he now had at hand. He exerted his utmost strength to build up his own so-called third-generation image. He went around to gather inscriptions and to show off, but he was not able to conceal the fear of doom in his heart. Jiang Zemin cried out to eliminate any unstable factors in their embryonic stage, which was just the conclusion he came to in extreme fear. In 1992, Falun Gong rose quietly in mainland China. At first, many people regarded it as a type of Qigong with an especially powerful ability to keep people healthy and fit. However, people gradually realized that the essence of Falun Gong is to teach people to become better based upon the principles of truthfulness, compassion, and tolerance. Although the concept of truthfulness, compassion, and tolerance benefits any society and people with no negative effects, the Communist Party had its own methods of belief and mind control. From the day the party seized power, it started to poison and deprive Chinese people's minds in an organized way, which in China is known as being tamed by the tools of the party. During more than 50 years of brainwashing the populace, the party has always taken atheism as the absolute truth in its propaganda and educational system. Because the legitimacy of the communist regime was based on materialism and the wish to build a heaven on earth, it could only rely on the leadership of the vanguard in the world, namely, itself, the Communist Party. The atheists' propaganda aims to make people believe there is no heaven or hell and no karmic retribution, so that people would no longer be restrained by their conscience. Instead, they would focus on wealth and comfort as being the reality of this world. The weaknesses in human nature could then be manipulated and intimidation and temptation could be used to control people fully. Meanwhile, the practice of atheism enabled the Communist Party to itself interpret freely 
what is virtuous and what is good or bad. However, theism gives people an unchanging standard of good and bad. Falun Gong practitioners evaluate right or wrong based on truthfulness, compassion, and tolerance. This obviously hinders the CCP's efforts to unify people's thinking. Moreover, those with strong beliefs are able to see through life and death. The illusions of the secular world do not move them. They take the temptations of the earthly world and threats to their lives lightly, thus rendering the Communist Party feeble in any efforts to manipulate them. The philosophy that the Communist Party has relied on for its survival, as well as its so-called ideological point of view, are completely opposite to what Falun Gong teaches. Falun Gong promotes truthfulness, including only telling the truth and doing truthful things. However, the genes inherited by the Communist Party are deceit and lies. The party once claimed, nothing significant can be accomplished without lying. Falun Gong promotes compassion, including considering others first and being kind to others in all circumstances. But violence is another gene inherited by the party. The party advocates brutal struggle and merciless crackdown. Falun Gong promotes a world outlook of searching inside oneself. However, the Communist Party's concept of history and the world is the philosophy of struggle. The Communist Manifesto states, the history of all hitherto existing society is the history of class struggle. Struggle has been the major means for the Communist Party to gain political power and to survive. Following the June 4, 1989 massacre at Tiananmen Square, the CCP has fully advocated that people should earn more money and make a fortune. The party once claimed, courage should be more and pace should be faster. It turned to total corruption in exchange for party members' loyalty. In other words, whoever followed the party would be allowed to gain personal benefits through corruption and embezzlement, an advantage impossible to non-party members. Ever since this time, government officials' profiteering and corruption in real estate and the stock market have run wild in China. Illegal second wives and smuggling are everywhere. Pornography, gambling, and drugs have become rampant all over China. Under such a background, the high moral standards demonstrated by Falun Gong practitioners, who practice truthfulness, compassion, and tolerance, resonated with kindness in the hearts of the public. People voluntarily studied Mr. Li Hongshu's series of books and promoted Falun Gong at their own expense. Falun Gong is spread from person to person and heart to heart. In a short seven years, more than 100 million people were attracted to Falun Gong and started the practice. Falun Gong has a loose management structure and anyone can come and go freely as he wishes. It is very different from the strict organization of the CCP. In China, the CCP exerts total control over every part of society. In the countryside, there are Communist Party branches in every single village. In urban areas, branch offices of the CCP are found in every neighborhood. In the army, government, and enterprises, 
the party structure reaches to the very root. Despite the party's strict organization, the political study and group activities conducted weekly or more frequently in the CCP branches exist only in form. Few party members agree with the party ideology. On the contrary, Falun Gong is a mirror of righteousness, which by its very nature reveals all the unrighteousness of the CCP. In fact, what Falun Gong brings to people is a culture and a way of life. It is an ancestral culture and the root of Chinese traditions, which the Chinese people had lost long ago. Once this traditional morality was accepted by the public, nothing could prevent it from flourishing rapidly. Chinese traditional beliefs have been forcibly shut down and tampered with by the Communist Party for decades. It would be the choice of history to return to tradition. It would be the path of return chosen by the vast majority of people after tribulations and misery. When given such a choice, people can certainly distinguish between right and wrong and are likely to leave wickedness behind. This amounts to a fundamental denial and abandonment of what the Communist Party has promoted. Just when more and more people started to practice Falun Gong and save a large amount of medical expenses for the country and social morality began improving gradually, the CCP's evil nature started to show its effect. From 1994, the CCP's primary organ for watching the country's people, the Public Security Ministry, began suppression, monitoring, and investigation of Falun Gong, with the intent to fabricate accusations that could be used to frame Falun Gong. In 1996, Guanming Daily published articles denouncing Falun Gong's ideology for no reason. After that, politicians with backgrounds in public security, or disguised as so-called scientists, continually harassed Falun Gong in the state-controlled press. At the beginning of 1997, Logan, Secretary of the Political and Judiciary Committee of the Central Committee of the CCP, took advantage of his power and ordered the Public Security Bureau to carry out a nationwide investigation of Falun Gong with the intention of finding charges to justify a ban on Falun Gong. After it was reported from around the country that no evidence had been found, Logan issued a circular entitled Notice Regarding the Investigation of Falun Gong through the First Bureau of the Public Security Ministry. First, he charged Falun Gong with being an evil cult, and then he ordered the police departments across the country to investigate Falun Gong systematically, using undercover personnel to collect evidence. However, there certainly was a balance in everyone's heart. Many undercover public security personnel also themselves started practicing Falun Gong after they acquainted themselves with Falun Gong during the investigation. So the investigation ended up with nothing definite. Hence, the CCP had to utilize its entire organization if it wanted to suppress Falun Gong.
Before this organization possessed by the evil specter, the CCP, could begin to crack down on Falun Gong, it needed the right person to initiate the mechanisms of suppression. How the head of the CCP handled the issue was crucial. As an individual, the CCP's head could possess both goodness and evil, two opposite aspects of human nature. If he chose to follow his good side, then he could temporarily restrain an eruption of the vile party nature. Otherwise, the evil nature of the CCP would manifest fully. History has given Jiang Zemin the chance to choose. However, he started his career by lying about his past, so of course he is afraid of the truth. Through suppressing people, he quickly became successful and powerful, so of course he dislikes compassion. He maintained his power through political struggles inside the party, so of course he dislikes tolerance. From a small incident, we can tell how extremely petty and jealous Zhang Zemin is. The museum at Hemudu Cultural Ruins in Yuyao County, Zhejiang Province, is a major historical and cultural site under state conservation. Originally, it was Chao Shi, a former high-level party official, who wrote the inscription for the museum. In September 1992, Zhang Zemin saw Chao Shi's inscription when he visited the museum, and his face turned dark and gloomy. The accompanying personnel were very nervous, as they knew that Zhang could not stand Chao Shi, and that Zhang liked to show off so much that he would want to write an inscription wherever he went. In May 1993, using renovations as an excuse, the museum replaced Chao Shi's inscription with one of Zhang's before the reopening. Mao Zedong is said to have four volumes of profound and powerful writing, whereas the selected works of Deng Xiaoping had his cat theory with its flavor of practicality. Zhang Zemin exhausted his brain but could only come up with three sentences, yet he claimed to have come up with the so-called three represents. Regardless, the party members still didn't respect Zhang Zemin, even a little bit. They spread gossip about his affair with a singer, about the embarrassing episodes where he sang in public when he traveled abroad, and his diplomatic faux pas of combing his hair in front of the King of Spain. When the founder of Falun Gong, Mr. Li Hongshu, who was born as an ordinary civilian, gave a lecture, the lecture hall would be filled with professors, experts, and Chinese students studying abroad. Many people with doctorates or master's degrees flew thousands of miles to listen to his lectures. Mr. Li lectured on the stage for several hours, and he did so eloquently without referring to any notes. Afterwards, the lecture could be transcribed and published as a book. All these things were unbearable to Jiang Zemin, who was vain, jealous, and petty. Jiang Zemin lives an extremely lavish, lustful, and corrupt life. He spent over 110 million US dollars, almost a billion Chinese yuan, to build a luxurious airplane for his own use. Zhang often drew money from the public funds by the tens of billions of Chinese yuan for his son to do business. 
He used nepotism to promote his relatives and his minions to high-ranking posts above the ministerial level, and he resorted to desperate and extreme measures in covering up for his cronies' corruption and crimes. For all these reasons, Zhang is afraid of Falun Gong's moral authority. He is even more afraid that the concepts addressed by Falun Gong, involving topics such as heaven and hell, the principle of good being rewarded with good and bad being met with bad, he is afraid that these are indeed real. Although Jiang Zemin wholeheartedly intended to exterminate Falun Gong out of his own personal spite, he was incapable of doing much, as Falun Gong is rooted in traditional Chinese culture and has become so popular as to gain a broad social basis. Of the seven members of the Politburo, Jiang Zemin was the only one who insisted on the suppression of Falun Gong. On July 19, 1999, Jiang Zemin chaired a conference of the CCP's highest-ranking officials. Zhang gave the excuse that suppressing Falun Gong was related to the survival of the party and the country. This touched the CCP's most sensitive nerve. Zhang Zemin's attempt to maintain his personal power and the CCP's attempt to maintain one-party rule came together on this point. So. The party nature abdicated common sense and human nature once again. Zhang and the CCP Central Committee came to a unified understanding and decided to launch a massive crackdown on Falun Gong. Now just imagine if the head of the CCP at that time had been someone other than Zhang Zemin. The suppression of Falun Gong would not have taken place. In that respect, we can say that the CCP used Jiang Zemin. On the other hand, if the CCP had not incurred so many bloody deaths with its scoundrel, immoral, and savage nature, it would not have considered Falun Gong to be a threat. Without the CCP's complete and pervasive control over every part of society, Jiang Zemin's intention to suppress Falun Gong would not have the organization, financing, and propaganda it needed. It wouldn't have had the support of the country's diplomats, judiciary, and so on. In this respect, we can say that Jiang Zemin used the CCP. During the Central Committee's working conference in 1999, in which the suppression of Falun Gong was ordered, Jiang Zemin claimed, I just don't believe that the CCP can't beat Falun Gong. His words instigated and strengthened the will and arrogance of suppression on the one hand, and on the other hand, they also exposed the CCP's realization of its own impending doom. The suppression was insane and hysterical from the beginning. In 1999, during the APEX summit held in New Zealand, Jiang Zemin completely dispensed with any pretense and handed out pamphlets defaming Falun Gong 
to every one of the heads of state of the more than 10 countries attending the conference. He labeled Falun Gong an evil cult in front of the foreign media. By taking advantage of the CCP's organizational principle that the entire membership of the party is subordinate to the Central Committee, Jiang Zemin passed orders to set up the Office for Dealing with the Falun Gong Issue in the Central Committee on June 7, 1999, the 610 Office. The 610 Office technically reports to the State Council, but in fact, it is a party organization that is allowed to exist outside of the established framework of the state and central government. It is free from any legal restriction, any regulation, and all national policies. It is an all-powerful organization, very similar to Nazi Germany's Gestapo, with powers far above and beyond the legal and judiciary systems. It employs the resources of the country as it sees fit. Using this type of temporary arm of the dictatorship is a tactic that the party has often repeated in its total disregard of the law. During previous political purges, the party always utilized extrajudicial tactics and set up extrajudicial temporary organizations such as the Central Cultural Revolution Team to lead and spread the CCP's tyranny to the whole country. Under the instigation of the 610 office, the suppression exploited all state machinery. The army and paramilitary police have directly taken part in the abduction and arrest of Falun Gong practitioners. The news media in China have fabricated and spread lies. The state security system has made chaos in society and among Falun Gong practitioners by fabricating false articles in the name of Falun Gong founder Li Hongshu. The National People's Congress and the judicial system have put on airs of legality and the garb of the rule of law to justify crimes committed by Jiang Zemin and the CCP. The diplomatic system has spread lies in the international community. It has enticed foreign governments, senior officials, and international media with political and economic incentives so that they will remain silent on the persecution of Falun Gong. The black cloud of oppression that began to choke the country signaled that something as drastic as the Cultural Revolution was about to start all over again. During its long-term reign of tyranny and heavy-handed rule, the party has created the strongest and most evil system of state terror. It employs violence, lies, and information blockage. In all of its previous political movements, the party accumulated systematic and effective methods and the experience to punish, harm, and kill people on a large scale. The party's levels of inhumanity and deceit are at the highest professional level. Its scale and extent are unprecedented. At the beginning of the suppression, Jiang Zemin established three core policies of the persecution to ruin Falun Gong practitioners' reputations, to bankrupt them financially, and to destroy them physically. He also ordered that when practitioners appeal or distribute Falun Gong materials and are arrested, that they should be beaten badly. He stated that, if practitioners are beaten to death, it is nothing and shall be counted as suicide. 
and he ordered the public security to cremate their bodies directly without verifying their identity. No official written documents were usually issued. Coded telegrams or oral messages were delivered. There were no signatures, and every message was described as comments from the Central Committee. The policy of ruining Falun Gong practitioners' reputations has been carried out by the media, which is under the absolute control of the CCP. Based on the available statistics, within the first six months of the persecution alone, over 300,000 news articles and programs smearing and targeting Falun Gong were published or broadcast. In the remaining months of 1999 after the persecution began, CCTV spent seven hours a day broadcasting pre-programmed footage to spread lies about Falun Gong. Producers of these programs started by distorting and falsifying speeches by Mr. Li Hongshu, founder of Falun Gong, then threw in cases of so-called suicide, murder, and death due to refusal of medical treatment. They did everything they could to smear and frame Falun Gong and its founder. As with previous political movements launched by the CCP, the purpose of criticism and spreading rumors was to instigate and provoke one part of society to fight another part of society. However, this time, people who had experienced many political movements were sick of the CCP's overwhelming criticism and propaganda. They would rather put their time and energy into earning more money and making a better life for themselves. Falun Gong practitioners keep appealing for Falun Gong and clarifying the truth to their relatives, their friends, colleagues, and leaders in their work units, as well as to the public security organizations and government departments. So, although the CCP media made a strong attack on Falun Gong at the surface, the effect of the suppression was not as it wished. In their commentary on November 25, 1999, the People's Daily had to admit that an inclination to battle weariness existed, saying that many people's response to the suppression was that it was just some people practicing Falun Gong and keeping fit, that it wasn't worth going to war. The criticism of Falun Gong was being viewed as a storm in a teacup. In order to carry out the battle of exposing and criticizing Falun Gong to the end, the CCP believed that hatred was a necessary condition. If there was no hatred, the CCP could make hatred. So, the farce of the so-called self-immolation at Tiananmen Square was created on the Chinese New Year's Eve in January 2001. This particular farce may be the CCP's lie of the century. It took advantage of the goodness in people's hearts and went to elaborate preparations to select the participants of the so-called self-immolation, including a young girl, an orphan, and a widow. It made their finale extremely tragic. One died on the spot and one was disfigured. It took advantage of the people's patriotic spirit and chose the spot of the self-immolation carefully, Tiananmen Square. It utilized the fastest and the most pervasive means to spread the so-called news. It used CCTV news and a TV program that has the highest audience ratings called Focal Point Interview. The incident was spread to the whole world with an unprecedented speed. We know that CCTV reaches 90% of the population in China. Its audience exceeds 1.1 billion people. 
The CCTV uses four languages, including Chinese, English, French, and Spanish, and many dialects, to cover the world through its satellite transmissions. So, as soon as the self-immolation farce came out, the whole of China saw it, the United States saw it, and even Taiwan saw it. However, a lie is just a lie. It cannot stand careful scrutiny, rational thinking, and analysis. If we look at the slow-motion playback of the Focal Point interview program video, we can see that Liu Chunling, one of the self-immolators, died when she was forcefully struck down on the scene. The murderer was caught in a pose suggesting he had just used the killing force. The footage reported that Wang Jindong was seriously burned, but his hair, which usually is the first thing to burn in a fire, was untouched, and the plastic Sprite bottle filled with gasoline remained intact between his knees. Liu Baorong, another of the self-immolators, claimed she drank about half a bottle of gasoline, but common scientific sense tells us that drinking one-tenth of an ounce of gasoline per pound of body weight will cause death. The little girl, Si Ying, could talk with the interviewers very clearly just a few days after she had a tracheotomy. If the purpose of self-immolation was to ascend to heaven, why not go to a spot with beautiful scenery rather than go to Tiananmen Square, where the police are constantly on high alert? If the self-immolation was to protest the persecution, doesn't the fact that anyone would do such a thing show how cruel the CCP's suppression must be? Later, this incident was criticized by numerous international organizations as a government-staged action meant to deceive the public. While being interviewed, a member of the TV crew admitted that some of the footage shown on CCTV was in fact shot afterwards. The unscrupulous nature of the oppressors is obvious. In fact, Falun Gong clearly requires that practitioners cannot kill lives. Suicide is also a sin. Mr. Li Hongzhu even clearly pointed out in the book Zhuan Falun that those who just practice the sets of movements but do not upgrade their character, according to the requirements of Falun Dafa, cannot be regarded as Falun Gong practitioners. Only those who really behave according to the character standards of truthfulness, compassion, and tolerance can be regarded as true practitioners. These participants claimed themselves to be Falun Gong practitioners, but what they said and did departed from Falun Gong's principles and teachings while spinning out rumors and fabricating lies. The CCP has done everything in its power to block the flow of information. It has relentlessly suppressed any overseas reports on Falun Gong activities as well as any reasonable defense by practitioners. All Falun Gong books and other documents have been destroyed. Extreme measures have been taken to guard against any foreign media attempts to interview Falun Gong practitioners in China, including expelling journalists from China, pressuring foreign news media, and forcing them to be silent by threatening to ban them from China. After exposing the facts about the rape suffered in detention by Ms. Wei Xingyang, a Falun Gong practitioner and graduate student at Chongqing University, 
seven Falun Gong practitioners in Chongqing were charged and given long prison terms. At Tsinghua University alone, over a dozen teachers and students were given long prison terms for handing out materials on Falun Gong. On March 5, 2002, the cable television network in Chongchun City was tapped into to air the real story about the self-immolation to the Chinese public. Zhang Zemin responded with both hatred and fear. He personally issued the order to kill without mercy Falun Gong practitioners who attended the incident of tapping. In several days, more than 4,000 Falun Gong practitioners had been abducted and arrested in Changchun City. They were tortured seriously in order to extort confessions. 18 were sentenced to long-term imprisonment. Practitioners including Liu Haibo and Liu Chongjun were tortured to death. At the same time, lies were spread out one after another. Even the so-called self-immolation at Tiananmen Square was specially added into the school textbooks of ideology and morality. The CCP utilized the state education system to interpret the slander and hatred of Falun Gong as positive ideology and behavior and indoctrinated young children with these ideas. Those who have been deceived are still the most willing to believe the CCP's lies. They also believe they hold the truth, so they carry hatred in their minds and curse Falun Gong and practitioners who pass out materials clarifying the truth about the persecution. The indulgence of Jiang Zemin and the CCP in such wanton massacre and persecution throughout China has been the biggest sorrow and misfortune of the Chinese people. The entire state apparatus of the CCP has carried out a policy of bankrupting Falun Gong practitioners financially. In addition to the 610 office, which has spread to all towns, counties, cities and provinces in the country, sectors of society that participated in the persecution also include all levels of party organizations, the communist youth leagues, business associations, women's federations, student and scholar associations, labor unions, neighborhood committees, and all ministry committees. Academia, religion, literature, art, science, technology, and so on have also been involved in the persecution. Even a so-called anti-cult association was set up for this purpose. Also, Authorities wantonly imposed high fines on Falun Gong practitioners and ransacked their homes. In the city, Falun Gong practitioners have faced the penalty of being laid off. In the countryside, the authorities have threatened to confiscate practitioners' land. The CCP has not overlooked retirees, either. Their pension plans have been terminated, and the government has evicted them from their residences. Some practitioners in business have had their properties confiscated and bank accounts frozen. On the other hand, the CCP invested enormous amounts of the nation's financial resources as capital to fuel the persecution. This includes the police resources used to persecute Falun Gong for so long, the human, material, and financial resources used to keep surveillance on practitioners in their workplaces, the development of detention centers, labor camps, and prisons, the expense of filming, producing, and airing the various slander programs used for the long-term propaganda campaigns to sway public opinion, 
the expense of holding brainwashing classes throughout the whole country, the expense of the internet blockade and internet police to screen and monitor for Falun Gong content, and the cost of the diplomatic system treating Falun Gong as a core issue, and on and on. In 2001, inside information from the Public Security Bureau showed that, at Tiananmen Square alone, the daily expense of arresting Falun Gong practitioners was between 1.7 and 2.5 million yuan. Unlike in previous movements, in the persecution of Falun Gong, the CCP adopted a policy of combining guilt by association with financial incentives. On November 26, 1999, People's Daily recommended a struggle experience to companies in the entire country. The theme was establishing the policy of leadership responsibility. The party secretary was to be held responsible if there were any Falun Gong practitioners in his work unit. Regulations were established to define the responsibilities of management, making the party secretary the primary person responsible for the Falun Gong issue. The party committee in each unit signed contracts with their superiors, and the superiors also had clearly defined responsibilities. Each of the superiors would take care of a subordinate work unit and establish a team in that unit to focus on dealing with one practitioner. If Falun Gong practitioners in any particular work unit or state enterprise were found to appeal for Falun Gong, the leaders and the employees of these units would not receive bonuses, nor would they get promoted. Family members and relatives of Falun Gong practitioners also faced the threat of dismissal from work or having their children expelled from school and of being evicted from their residences. However, those who participated in the persecution of Falun Gong would obtain rewards of several thousand or even 10,000 yuan. The gruesome policy of destroying Falun Gong practitioners physically has been primarily carried out by the police, procuratorate, and the court system in China. Based on statistics gathered by the Clear Wisdom website, at least 1,700 Falun Gong practitioners have died from the persecution in the last five years. The deaths have occurred in over 30 provinces, autonomous regions, and municipalities under the direct leadership of the central government. Among the Falun Gong practitioners tortured to death, the youngest was only 10 months old, the oldest was 82 years old, most were women and the elderly. CCP officials have admitted privately that the actual number of Falun Gong practitioners who have died from the persecution is much higher. There are two ways to kill people. One is to destroy them physically. The other is to eliminate them mentally. Nazi Germany's concentration camps and the Soviet Gulag were notorious for their atrocities, but they destroyed people physically. The CCP, however, has created a mental destruction and called it ideology reformation. The aim is to manipulate and control people. Usually, mental destruction is crueler and more concealed than physical destruction. In the suppression, Falun Gong practitioners are often required to write a so-called statement of guarantee letter, 
or statement of repentance, giving up the practice or promising not to appeal. If they write the statements, they are released. If they don't, they are sentenced to imprisonment. In jail, a criterion for determining whether a practitioner has been so-called transformed or not is whether he or she will curse others. Those who refuse transformation are tortured by numerous methods, whipping, electric shock torture, freezing, tying with ropes, handcuffing, shackling for extended periods, burning with open flames, burning with lit cigarettes or hot irons, being cuffed and hung up, being forced to stand or kneel down for a long time, being jabbed with bamboo sticks or metal wires, sexual abuse, rape, and on and on. In October 2000, guards at the Masanja forced labor camp in Liaoning province stripped the clothes completely off 18 women practitioners and threw them into prison cells filled with men. The abuse of so-called psychiatric treatment has also been a well-planned and systematically carried out top-down policy to persecute Falun Gong practitioners. Statistics indicate that at least 100 psychiatric facilities at the provincial, city, county or district level in 23 provinces, regions and municipalities have engaged in the persecution. Normal, rational and mentally healthy Falun Gong practitioners have been unlawfully locked up in psychiatric facilities and injected with unknown drugs capable of destroying a person's central nervous system. As a result, some practitioners have suffered partial or complete paralysis. Some have lost the sight in both eyes or lost hearing in both ears. Some have experienced the destruction of muscles or internal organs. Some have lost part or all of their memory and become mentally retarded. The internal organs of some practitioners have been severely injured. Some have suffered complete mental collapse. Some even died shortly after being injected with the drugs. All these crimes have been documented in full and are too numerous to list. The CCP's reign is the darkest and most ridiculous page in Chinese history. However, motivated by his personal interests, Zheng Zemin utilized the CCP to launch the suppression of truthfulness, compassion, and tolerance. It has been the most evil chapter of the CCP's reign. It has made the laws redundant. Morality and human nature have been ruined. It has brought fatal pressure to its financial system, now about to crash. And it has dragged the country and its people into crime and disaster. Beginning of the suppression of Falun Gong in 1999, Zhang Zemin intended to solve the issue of Falun Gong in three months. However, the party underestimated the power of Falun Gong and the power of tradition and belief. Almost six years have passed. Falun Gong is still Falun Gong. Moreover, Falun Gong has spread widely all over the world.
the notorious Jiang Zemin is now beset with troubles both at home and abroad, and is facing many lawsuits and appeals seeking to bring him to justice. The collusion between the CCP and Jiang Zemin has tied their fates together. Falun Gong is now suing Jiang Zemin. The day Jiang is brought to justice, the fate of the CCP will be self-evident. Any pipe dream of salvaging the CCP is against the trend of history. It will not only be in vain, but also destroy the participants' own future. Since ancient times, the evil has never been able to eliminate the righteous. It cannot eradicate kindness from people's hearts. Here, we want to thank those Falun Gong practitioners who refuse to give up their beliefs. It is because of their combat and resistance to the CCP's persecution, as well as because of their insistence in their belief of truthfulness, compassion, and tolerance, that there is hope for the reconstruction of Chinese morality. Thank you.